This evening we're going to look at Psalm 103, turn to Psalm 103, Psalm 103 verse 4, who redeemeth thy life from destruction. I'll just read to you the verses before it. It's a Psalm of David, Psalm 103, reading from verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been considering the great spiritual benefits that King David stirred up his soul to bless God for. First of all, we looked at the forgiveness of not just some, but all his iniquities. And then last week, we considered the healing of all David's diseases, where God is the great heavenly healer or physician, and he is the one who heals both um, physical diseases and spiritual diseases. Today we shall look at verse 4, where David, speaking about the Lord to his soul, said, Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. And that is the title of my sermon, The Lord redeemeth thy life from destruction. There were many times when the Lord delivered David from certain death, such as on those occasions when his predecessor, King Saul, threw his javelin at David and missed him. The Lord gave David the victory when he came up against the Philistine giant Saul, uh, sorry, Goliath, and God delivered him from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. When David's son Absalom stole the hearts of the people and then he tried to steal his father's kingdom, that too ended in failure for the one who had it in for David and we see that the Lord delivered David from death. Without doubt, there were many times when the Lord delivered David from an early grave and perhaps you have testimonies of being delivered in what you believe to be a miraculous way. We heard one this morning, didn't we? We had a testimony this morning and... um, She was in no doubt whatsoever that there was divine intervention and uh, she was delivered from certain death. I've had quite a colourful and sometimes adventurous life and I most certainly do have a few stories about the Lord delivering my life from death. Going back to when I was a teenager. However, looking at the language in verse 4, David was not just thanking God for delivering him from death. He was blessing God for redeeming his life from destruction, hell's destruction and everlasting punishment. That is a subject that is, for most people, a conversation killer. You won't normally hear people chatting about death and eternal damnation over Sunday lunch. Did anyone talk about hell and everlasting punishment today at the dinner table. And some adults have been known to become quite upset when I've talked to their precious children about hell. 
There are many people who insist that hell is not a literal place anyway. For example, various cults teach annihilationism. In other words, God will obliterate those who die without faith and they will cease to exist. And even in churches, there are professing Christians who reject the doctrine of eternal punishment. Uh, When I became a Christian and I was keen to befriend a neighbour, an elderly man who I found out was a lay Baptist preacher, I soon felt the spirit leading me away from that man. I was a brand new Christian and I needed the company of people who were well grounded in in the faith and uh, they had the right doctrine, shall we say. Um, I think it was my first meeting with the lay Baptist preacher. He scoffed at the idea of hell being a real place and of the devil being a real person. And even then, as a brand new Christian, newly saved by the grace of God, I thought, I need to stay away from people like this, at least for now at any rate. Maybe in time to come, I'll be able to talk to people like him and show him from the scriptures that what he's saying is wrong. But anyway, instinctively, I knew that what he was saying was wrong. But that, sad to say, was someone who was a a Baptist preacher. Additionally, there are many people who call themselves atheists. They say that there is no God, and they too subscribe to annihilationism. I suspect that is wishful thinking on their part. After all, ceasing to exist has got to be preferable to being punished forevermore in hell. They'd like to think that when you're dead, you're dead. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Like everything else, we need to see what the Bible says about hell. For one thing, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, most certainly didn't pull his punches when he spoke about hell. Jesus referred to hell as a place of eternal torment. Just listen to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 9. I'm going to read it for you, verses 43 to 48 in Mark chapter 9. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter, halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched. This is Jesus speaking here, saying these things. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye, than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. If that's not preaching hellfire, I don't know what is. 
I don't, I don't know, I wasn't there obviously, but I don't really imagine that Jesus was looking around to see uh, who was there so that he might not offend certain people when he said those things about hellfire. Jesus was not recommending that you mutilate your body when you sin. If that was the case, there would be nothing left of me. But what he was doing was emphasising that all who are trusting in him for the forgiveness of all their iniquities will by his enabling grace mortify or put to death the deeds of the sinful flesh. For it is God who works in them, who gives them the enabling grace to, uh, to will and to do of God's good pleasure. But note also that Jesus illustrates the conscious reality of hell. Jesus most certainly did not use the language of annihilationism. Rather, it is the language of an everlasting conscious torment. It's for real. It comes from Jesus. In Matthew chapter 25, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about when he will come again, not to lay down his life as the sacrificial lamb of God, he did that about 2,000 years ago. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, everyone who has ever lived. According to Matthew chapter 25 and verse 46, the righteous shall go away into life eternal. However, the cursed shall go away into everlasting punishment. It couldn't be clearer. It's all there, Matthew 25, verse 46. In 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul, he spoke about those who know not God and who obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, being punished with everlasting destruction in flaming fire. Those who obey not the gospel being punished with everlasting destruction in flaming fire. Again, very strong language. I could go on, but hopefully I have made my point that everlasting destruction in hell is a reality and it is the final destination of all who reject the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. Despite the overwhelming evidence in God's book, the Bible, those who say that there is no God will nevertheless offer their own idea of what God can and cannot do when they say, what kind of God would send people to eternal punishment? This is people who don't believe in God. What kind of God would send people to eternal punishment? And similarly, there are professing Christians who have the same mindset. Despite all the evidence in the Bible, they still reject eternal destruction and they simply say, God is love, which of course is true. God is love, and that love can be most clearly seen where? At the cross, where Jesus was not having a picnic, was he? It was a terrible, terrible death on that cross. 
as Jesus had the iniquities of the collective iniquities of all who trust in him laid upon him at that cross as he drank the cup of sin at that cross as he was wounded for their transgressions for your transgressions dear Christian and bruised for your iniquities the chastisement of your peace was upon him and with his stripes you are healed terrible death at the cross so God is love and that most certainly can be seen possibly most clearly at the cross where Jesus laid down his life in the place of hell deserving sinners before giving up the ghost on the cross Jesus cried out with a loud voice my God, my God why hast thou forsaken me? As profound as that question was, the answer is surprisingly simple. The answer is, God is holy. And there you have it. Yes, God is love, but also, God is holy. The elect angels, they appreciate that that perfect holiness of God And they do not reason that God cannot send sinners to everlasting punishment. Instead, they cover their faces in the presence of God as they call one to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Still on the subject of the angels of God, about 2,000 years ago, one of the angels came to the Virgin Mary and told her that she would conceive in her womb and bring forth a son and call his name Jesus. A multitude of angels heralded the birth of Jesus to shepherds who were abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. About 33 years later, when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, on the evening before his crucifixion, when he was in torment and he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. When disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ came to the tomb upon the first day of the week, angels spoke to them, saying, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. For all that the angels cannot fully understand the gospel of Christ which speaks of God's love towards hell-deserving sinners. Concerning the gospel that the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, the Apostle Peter said the following in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. He said the following about the angels, which things the angels desire to look into. This is the gospel that came down from heaven. The angels desire to look into it. Those angels who declared to, to, to Mary that she would conceive and bring forth a son. The angels who heralded the, the coming of Jesus to the shepherds. The angel that um, ministered to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The angels that were at the tomb when Jesus was risen. You think they knew it all. 
but they desired to look into it. In other words, the sinless angels, they cannot plumb the depths of God's love for hell-deserving sinners and his mercy and his grace towards them. It's as if they simply cannot understand it. Why? When you consider the cross of Christ, do you appreciate enough about the sinfulness and the seriousness of sin so as not to dismiss God's eternal destruction of sinners as being unreasonable or exaggerated or even fictitious? You're on the right track if instead of asking how could God send people to eternal destruction, your question is, why does God give anyone life eternal when we are all fitted to destruction? But that's the gospel of Christ, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Yes, God loves. He so loves. But he is a holy God. Holy and reverend is his name. In verse 4, King David was able to praise God for redeeming his life from destruction. We see that in Psalm 103. Therefore, we need to understand what redemption is. To be redeemed is to be set free. And that comes at a price. And that price is called the ransom. The Apostle Peter said to the Christians, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That was the ransom that was paid. The blood, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The ransom was paid when Jesus sacrificially laid down his life. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life, a ransom for many. A ransom for many, not everyone, just many. Are you one of that many? who has been redeemed with the blood of Jesus. Ultimately, in the context of Psalm 103, where David was blessing God for the forgiveness of all his iniquities, he was giving thanks to God for his redemption from eternal destruction. Through his kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Another Old Testament saint who, saw, who, who knew a thing or two about redemption from destruction was Job. I'm going to turn to Job, chapter 19. 
Again, so much doctrine here, tucked away in the Old Testament. It's wonderful. Job chapter 19, verse 25 and 26. I don't think anyone knows for sure, but uh, this book is believed by many to be the oldest book in the Bible. But anyway, let's see what Job says in these verses. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Let's pause there. Job, he knew that his Redeemer liveth, his kinsman Redeemer. He's speaking about a man here. He knows that his Redeemer, who is a man, lives, that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Then he goes on to say, And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Who was he speaking about there? His Redeemer, his kinsman Redeemer. And he says, Yet in my flesh shall I see God. Job was another one who knew, he believed, he most certainly knew, you can see it in those verses, that the Lord had um, redeemed his life from destruction, everlasting destruction. He had a hope that on that final day, the Lord Jesus Christ would stand upon the earth, his Redeemer, the one who would come into the world and redeem him with his own blood, And Job would see God with his own eyes. Finally, in the Bible there are various explanations about what it is that Christians are redeemed from. It's not a straightforward subject. Redemption. Being set free. For example, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, the Apostle Paul said, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So in that verse we're being told that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he, he had the iniquities, our iniquities laid upon him, the curse of the law which was upon us, was uh, he took upon himself the curse of God's broken law. Paul went on to explain that now that we are no longer under the law, we receive the adoption of sons. That is you, dear Christian. On your behalf, the Lord Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law's demands in life and in death, and you, having been redeemed from the curse of the law, are now a child of God. And Jesus himself has given you the right, the privilege, the power to become a son or daughter of the living God. And Psalm 103 verse 3 is an easy one to remember. I recommend that you learn this. Learn that there's just a few things in here that you, if you commit to memory, it's solid doctrine that you can share with others. Learn this, that we're looking at in verse 103 here. So, uh, Psalm 103, verse 4, Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. 
It doesn't end there. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, the Apostle Paul not only spoke about the Lord Jesus Christ redeeming all who were trusting in him, he also spoke about what they are redeemed for. We're redeemed, the ransom that was paid, the Lord Jesus Christ laying down his life, shedding his blood, taking upon himself the curse of the law, fulfilling the law's demands on our behalf, we who trust in him. But in Titus chapter 2 verse 14, the Apostle Paul said, concerning Jesus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, it doesn't end there, and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Having been redeemed, you are zealous for good works. Dear Christian, let me finish with a final challenge to you. If you have been redeemed from destruction, then that ought to be a description of you, zealous for good works. As Spurgeon said, we should not only be a pu- people purified, but purified unto Christ. We are not only to have good works, but we are to be zealous of them. We are to burn with zeal for them, for zeal is a kind of fire. It is to burn and blaze in us until we warm and enlighten others also. If by excessive zeal we die before reaching the average age of man, worn out in his master's service, then glory to God. We shall have so much less of earth and so much more of heaven. Wonderful words from Spurgeon there. But I think this is a... I I said earlier that people don't want to talk about these things and it's a conversation killer. But I don't agree with that really. Who redeemeth his life... If you can just remember verses like this. He redeems my life from destruction. Imagine that when you're talking to someone, when that opportunity arises, you're speaking to someone about the Lord Jesus Christ, you can talk to them about how Jesus has redeemed your life from destruction. Don't you think people need to hear about that? Don't keep it to yourself. Wonderful truth in there that needs to be shared with those who are perishing. Amen.